Hello and welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on social media on iProperty Radio or by email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. This week, I'm chatting to Sean McNulty of Rethink Money, a qualified financial advisor, investment, insurance and mortgage advisor. And today we're going to talk about all things money and the easiest way to manage it. Um, Sean, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Carol, thank you very much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure to join you. Uh, thanks, Sean. Um, Sean, rethink money. You're you're not the average broker, are you? No, it's safe to say that we're we're going against the grain uh, when it comes to the provision of financial advice. Um, it I suppose it's we set out in a journey and it's it's coming on ten years now. Um, when this this dream and all all started, our journey began, but it was. The, the the pain that we had was how people actually consumed personal finances and how that was delivered to them um, and ultimately how people felt after they got financial advice having to jump through hoops to get it and pay quite a bit of money to get some some good advice and and we just thought that there's a much easier way to do this you know I um I, I used to work a bit as a well back in I started off as a financial advisor in 2007 so wow, 16 years ago, um, I'm getting on. So, but then worked, uh, moved a bit into capital markets and, um, and and saw how that industry worked as well around investments. And it was at that time when I was out of financial planning a, a couple of years that I actually went to try and get a bit of financial advice because I thought, no, you know what? I, I don't know how to manage my own money when I'm not working in the industry. So I thought, let's get some professional advice. And I got two financial advisors, just happened to work out that I got two different appointments and both meet, meet, meetings left me very underwhelmed. And and once they saw my position, I suppose I had different goals than um, what their maybe targets allowed um, to, to to give advice on. And once they were misaligned, I never heard from from uh, these advisors again, even though I, I clearly wanted help. Um, so it was all just a bit of a mismatch. And I thought, right, I know how to get financial advice because I'm qualified in it and I can go online now and search it. But yeah, there's a huge gap. So, yeah, we we set about fixing that uh, a bit of time ago, and and we've kind of come full full circle now. Just relatively, you know, up to this day, really, we're we're launching um our software this week, and um, yeah, everything's getting very exciting. Um, that well, that does all sound exciting, but just you you say you said something quite interesting there, just in terms of you know a decade ago, looking at pe- how people consumed personal finance and. Mm. I, I think how we've consumed everything has really changed over the past decade, but particularly personal finance, because when you were starting out 10 years ago, the country was in a very different position and people's outlook and financial outlooks were very different. So f- like fast forward a decade um, in my from what I see, uh, we're dealing with a much a much more savvy um, consumer out there. They're much better educated. They're much more aware in some ways more realistic but does that translate into personal finance yeah this is that's a great question to be honest because when i started again going back to when this idea first uh, planted in the head 10 years ago and i thought no people must want to take control of their finances and you know there's just there has to be a better way because intermediaries brokers invented themselves as a market to be the go-between financial services and and consumers, and their job is to make things things simpler. But 
that model hadn't changed in 30 odd years and and people weren't going down main street to get financial advice we knew millennials and young digital natives were actually just jumping online and three quarters of them would research a financial product online before making any financial commitment so we thought right okay the whole world is moving has had moved on online at that stage and was kind of scratching the head um to figure out why insurance and why finance hadn't revolutionized itself. So back in 2013, fintech wasn't a huge buzzword. You were able to still get on Twitter hashtag and read all the posts on fintech from the day. Now you couldn't even read them in the ones posted in the last minute. So it's what we've seen in the last 10 years is the banking industry has adapted and has revolutionized itself, you know, because I always use the old analogy that, if you had told somebody in the 90s that banks would operate extremely efficiently without the bank tellers being there, then people would have laughed at you. But we see what's happened you know, with FinTech and with that balloon um, of innovation and investment into there. You know, but again, with the insurance side, with the mortgage side, with you know, the financial advice provision, that model has not changed. You know, all through the years when we were in the startup scene and when we were talking to companies and around the, the tech scene, we've seen these loads of fintechs uh, bust up, you know, uh, or, or um, explode onto the scene, like, you know, the likes of Robinhood, the likes of Nutmeg, um, you know, where you're providing a solution to a problem. And, and that's one specific problem with personal finances. But from my experience and my knowledge as a financial advisor is like, I can't sit in front of you and give you financial advice on investments if the rest of your finances aren't up to scratch or you're, there's gaping holes in your protection needs, for example. So I've always liked to give a holistic approach. And that's what best financial advice is, is sitting down with a client and actually saying, well, tell me your data, okay? Because there's processes, right? There's stages to, to financial sales call. You have your introduction, your fact find, your pitch, and your close. You know, so... If a sales call follows that cycle, right? Okay, you have your introduction, but then the big part is your fact find. So I need to get a specific set of data from you to help me paint a picture of your personal finances. Well, then in that case, can't you just give your specific information to a software like you do in the rest of your digital life? You know, everyone interacts with digital technology on an ever-increasing pace, okay? So why can't we get financial advice onto that spectrum? And it just wasn't happening, okay? And and we did start, um, I left, you know, the, the old Tier uh, 1 Investment Bank I was working for at the time. I won't mention any names or brands, I'll try and keep it clean. So um, I left them at the time and I went through Enterprise Ireland, the New Frontier program. I said, listen, I have this idea and here I've built this model of one I want to build on Excel because I was, I was quite good at Excel. I'm not a techie, but I could build what I wanted on Excel. And I have this idea and yeah, listen, that's first business. We went through the Enterprise Ireland uh, role, but we kind of got swayed in um, by the banks and kind of got brought to their front door because they caught wind of what we were doing. Um, and they saw the, the validity and, and what we were doing as, as a software and, and consumers really wanted us. And it really fitted in with their mantra at the time, which was innovation, customer experience, you know, getting from point A to point B in as efficient way as possible using technology. So we got some very good validation, even though we had a couple of ditches to sit in um, along the way. 
and we got a couple of setbacks and you know trials and tribulations of a normal uh, startup company. But we learned a lot because we got good validation. We were working within this industry for for quite a period of time. Um, so consumer sentiment, yes, has has accelerated towards you know a, a digital performance of financial advice. Um, and again, I I know I'm kind of shouting out numbers from from research that that we kind of conducted and and curated, but we've always known that. Digital savvy people, as as we call them, people who grow up with tech, will go online and do their research. You know, but again, there is an element of people when it comes to financial advice, and I, I kind of call this the ostrich effect. Sometimes where people are afraid of it, so they stick their head in the sand, and they actually put you know the financial review or consultation on the long finger, and then you have the problem where people don't know where to go for financial advice because that broker model, I believe, of asking your mum and dad who their financial advisor was and going down that road for financial advice. I believe that's broken or breaking uh, and they're not going that way anymore. So it was all about how we could marry up what we were doing uh, in the software space. Obviously, being wholly compliant in terms of what the central bank would expect from a financial advisor. Um, and then giving the consumers what they wanted in terms of a customer experience and matching the CX, the customer experience design to what you would expect to get from a social media. Because let's face it, whether we like it or not, everybody's on some form of social media, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, everybody has a little habit of getting on there. But so it's just to marry that uh, ease of use and that um, uh, simplicity with something that people find so complex and hard to understand. Uh, and it was kind of easy for us because we're like, right, okay, we, we know finance and technology um, and, and we can make this simple. It's just a bit of a process. And it took us a bit longer than, than we had expected, but we think we're there now. And um, you said you mentioned there that the new platform is launching this week. So what will that do for consumers? What is the offering? Like take us through maybe a typical customer journey that they would go on. So it's we have a technology that makes financial advice automated. So now, now you don't need to actually book a meeting with a financial advisor to actually figure out what your finances are about. So as a financial advisor, out of every 20 meetings I have a, with clients, 19 of them come to me because they want a specific product. And let's face it, the purchase of financial products are based on human emotions, the wants and the need. So they need to move out of the house or they want the holiday or they want to retire early um, or they need life cover because they just had kids. So wants and needs. So we focus on that. So as I said, 19 out of 20 will come for a specific product. So when you get to, to our platform now, which we're, we're, we're uh, wrapping into an app soon as well, but when you get there, you'll be able to look at each area of your personal finances. So again, we're authorized as a mortgage intermediary, uh, an investment intermediary and insurance intermediary. So let's say, for example, it's life insurance just. So essentially all you have to do with our platform is quickly hop into life cover. Again, we're collecting that simple data. We're not going down the route of, okay, give me your name, your PPS number, your date of birth and uh, your dog's first name. It's, we base it on the financials, okay? So it's specifically for you, 
you know, we're going to ask the data only that we require to give you a, a, a piece of financial advice, a generalized piece of financial advice. But at the end of the day, it's personalized to the data that you've put in. So then it's okay, listen, you need 341,000 of life cover to cover you for the next 20 years until your youngest child is 20. It follows that logic. Be happy with that, click quote, and then you get your quote. So because obviously we're a technology-led company, we're cutting out the time, obviously, um, but also cutting out the paper waste and a lot of the waste that goes on with financial advice. And that's another question maybe that we might get into. So we're cutting out the waste, which allows us to have lower costs and, and we don't have the overheads that and traditional brokers would have. Sean, is there any danger of diminishing the quality of advice? So like, for example, I'm thinking, um, so say, for example, somebody who knows that they want to, to buy a house this year um, mm. or over the next two years even. Um, so they essentially... They can they can make they can make application inquiries online, but sometimes what they need is to be told where they're falling down. So, for example, um, you know, if somebody comes to you and they you know they want to make a mortgage application over the next twelve or twenty four months, they're not ready yet based on the financials. Can can the software kind of guide their way the same way that a traditional broker might sit them down and say, listen. You're not there yet. If we put in an application today, it wouldn't be successful. However, these are what you things you could do over the next three, six, nine, or twelve months to make sure that you are ready to do it. And sometimes they can be as simple as disconnecting your Paddy Power um, account, or sometimes you know they 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 might take a little more effort. But essentially, you're putting you're putting people on a track. So it's not necessarily advice, but you're putting them on the track to get to where they need to go. Is there a mechanism for this within your software? Yeah, it's a mechanism. The, the, the foundations of that question are written into the logic of our software. So again, what we have built is not just a, a very static and square piece of software. It's a, a fluid organic piece of software that we can eventually teach it on, on a daily basis. And, you know, the, the, the word machine learning is, is kind of thrown about when it comes to, to, to technology and fintech. But essentially, it's a, it's a growing organism where we can actually, uh, well, let's, let, let's talk about what we have today. So when you come to a financial broker, you know, in a person, the broker, as you rightly say, is going to direct you and say, well, okay, you're not looking good now. We have already built that into our code. So essentially the code of our software is me speaking. Uh, and what we've done is we have built in different hypotheses for different clients based on their data input, because let's face it from a financial advice perspective. You know, everybody's done QFAs, every qualified financial advisor. So that's six books. What we have taken is them six books and crammed it down into logical code. So to say that, you know, when you meet a financial broker, you're looking really to, you know, to pass your four tests, your net disposable income, your repayment capacity, loan to income, loan to value. So quick fire, essentially. So when people come to our software, the, the first instance, the first thing that you enter interact with is just a quick fire quote or discovery, right? So let's look at the mortgage, for example. It's it's asking a little bit of data input, like your age, like your income, is it a joint application, your first time buyer? And then it's going to assess whether it, 
you know, the mortgage that you want is affordable, where you're falling down and what you need to do to tick all those four boxes before going and hitting the submit button, which is right there in the corner. You know, and at the end of the day, we're technology first. We're not just technology. So we have a team of qualified financial advisors sitting in the wings. What we want technology to do is smooth the process so that clients can come and engage with the software, go start to finish on the couch on a Saturday evening in their pajamas and not have to worry about, oh, do I have to meet a financial advisor and pay him 250 quid just to actually sit and for him to flabbergast me and use loads of jargon and tell him why we need to pay him 500 more to put the application through him. Whereas no, just here, go and test yourself. That's effectively what you're doing. You know, and one of the older companies, you know, when I started out, you know, was all about the actual name hidden in, um, which I'll leave as a bit of a breadcrumb, right? The name hidden in was about empowering. It was Alenko, which is from the Greek Tonalenko to empower people. And that's all we want to do is give the tools to make this process really simple. So test yourself with the technology and that's all you have to do. And then the software will guide you to say, well, now you're falling down here because, for example, over the last six months, you haven't been saving the new stressed mortgage amount and you can't prove that repayment capacity. So do that for the next four months and then come back. You know, And ideally then what the person does is, well, our technology can obviously pick that up because it happened and then we'll flag it to them in four months going, ah, it's reminder time. Here, yeah. jump in, click this button. Now hit submit. And now we're ready to take the information. So the whole process is digital, but through web chat, phone, and video call like we're doing now, there's a QFA that's sitting there. And we do free consultations as well. So it's, it's always going to be manicured. We just want so the support to as well. Technology. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Okay. Um, and I think that that's... Uh, giving people control over their finances is really important. Somebody, uh, as somebody who had and probably who had exceptionally low financial literacy, and I would probably still be below average, um, which means I have to work twice as hard just to be able to to maintain any sort of stability. You know, anything that automates this, that that automates the process, that makes it easy to stay on track is a really important one, you know, particularly because we're seeing the data that um, first time first time buyers and people trying to trade up and down um, the profiles are really changing. So actually, I'm going to put this question to you and I don't know if you'll have the information off the top of your head, but it's just it's something we're curious about. Um, I, I, I we had uh, House Hunter Liz O'Kane on the show a couple of weeks ago and I asked her what the profile of a typical first time buyer was. Um, because I knew 10 years ago what that profile was. It was fairly well-defined. Now it doesn't seem to be very well-defined at all. It could be somebody from late 20s, if they're exceedingly lucky and in a, in a, in a high level, um, in, a, in, a high, or with a, in a relationship with somebody who's earning at a high level as well. Um, but it, actually it could be first-time buyers going up to their 50s, which was unheard of even a decade ago. So are you able to, kind of give some insight based on the, the data that you have there you know have you any insights into what the typical profile buyer profile of a first-time buyer today is i suppose all i can speak to on that is our own experience and clients that we deal with now and and obviously as we're just launching software i'm doing free one-to-one consultations so actually getting to meet with the first-time buyers and and maybe it's just because 
of our brand and how we position ourselves. But typically, you know, we are seeing people mid twenties who do want to get on the market who have, you know, and, and we have to appreciate that the generation of, you know, 20 to 30 year olds now, okay, weren't burned as much by the financial crisis uh, in 2008. And so that's why we're seeing this mix of people who got so badly burned, had savings wiped out back then that now they're only becoming first time buyers. But then the younger generation that are coming through have left college and got into decent jobs and have actually started saving and actually learned from the scalding that uh, that the, the the slightly older generation did receive. But you know they're they know what happened in the market, and they know that's you know I think it's obviously a very Irish thing about getting on the property market and 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 not letting rent be dead money. But you know we're seeing this diverse mix. Um, so really in our case we're, we're talking about 25 to, to 45 year olds coming in as, as first time buyers and probably more uh, more weighted towards a younger you know uh, 25 to 35 but then we have we have clients as well who have been in the home renting you know and, and actually a, a few cases that have happened over the last few months is people just actually finally agree in a price with a landlord because they have been renting since the time so back long. shortly after the crash. Yeah. Um, Joe, I actually, I'm really delighted to hear that because even if it is just uh, anecdotal or based on your experience, because we don't have the stats around that. However, only in the last month, um, I think it was Charlie Weston and the independent uh, did a report that, um, that there are tenants living in, in properties today, paying a rent, that is 50% more than the mortgage if they were to buy that same property. So not even a different property or a larger property. So just the, the house they're currently renting or the apartment they're currently renting, if they were to secure a mortgage on that, they would essentially save themselves 50%. You know, and that's huge. Um, so I, I suppose that takes us back to, uh, you know, you talked about people in their mid-20s not being burnt by the crash and therefore having, you know, uh, maybe having sizable savings. But I'm looking at the cost of living and rent. So are these mid 20 year olds who are living at home? Because that's the only way I can yeah. see to, to do that. Yeah. The, you know, in, in that case, that they would be, and you know, touching on that point that you mentioned about Charlie Western, then you have a, it's a better cycle then, right? Because they're paying so much on rent. So how do they get out of that cycle of, not paying rent and saving for a deposit and it really like listen i suppose we can get into the political no we can't actually get into the political <laughs> side and just leave that to the side right yeah uh, about the, the crisis that's that's happening but it is a, a horrible cycle and of course we saw it much more now if we if we cycle or circle back in uh, 10 years ago 2013 and actually think about how many people actually because of the crisis just had to move home with their parents and actually leave where they were renting and stuff so but yeah, what, what we've started to, to see in our own experience is that it is young professionals that haven't left home too long ago. But I, I think what's happened as well to kind of marry that and, and where, where people have come out of college and gotten decent jobs is because the tech industry has boomed so well over the last 10 years. And because, you know, listen, in general, up to 2018, 2019, the markets actually did, did pretty well. And now what we're seeing is, you know, especially since COVID as well, we're seeing a, a huge rise in, in uh, wages and, and uh, money being paid. And, you know, 
because of decentralization as well. People can, can work from home or maybe call it more work from home rather than decentralization. But that's now because young people could get out of college and start a really good paying job while working from their hometown as well or working from their parents' sitting room or spare bedroom. It will yeah. actually allow them to save money quite quickly. You know, so because of the extortion, not the extortion, sorry, because of the high level of wages, but allow them to get there quickly. And of course, we have a lot of generational wealth where the parents are able to help them out with more of the deposit and stuff like that because things have been good over the last 10 years. Yeah. Uh, look, that that's certainly one perspective on it. I mean, frankly, I, I, I really champion anything that empowers would-be homebuyers to essentially take control of the finances, take control of the process, you know, really feel like they're prepped and able for it because so much of what's happening, particularly in, in the rental market and the property market for people who are looking, feels outside of control that anything that empowers uh, would-be home buyers is definitely a good thing. Sean, how can people get in touch with you or how can they access the software? Yeah, so just to hit on, on one point before I quickly do that, just because you mentioned a, a couple of times about empowering and education, you, you mentioned yourself that, you know, you were under maybe educated, as you say, when it comes to managing your finances. And that's the key that we have to deliver as well through our software. Is our software is not just sitting there as a static you know, board that's you know, punching the figures and it tells you X, Y, and Z. The, the software is obviously learned as well, but the key is educating people and just saying, listen, here's simple tools. Educate yourself on what you need to do and what boxes you need to tick. And if you go back, why is there such a problem with financial literacy, as you say? It's because we're not educated on it in primary, secondary, or third level education. We're not taught how to manage our finances. And that's a huge problem. So when people do go into the corporate world and they start earning money, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to manage it. And that's what leads to huge problems. So a large part of what we're doing is educating, is teaching people. And obviously, our brand is not just about a software. It's about empowering people going, listen, you don't have to do it the old way and sit in a dusty office and pay somebody 250. Here's a technology that makes it simple. If you engage with that, if you need help, by the way, touch the button. So, and and we'll get in touch and set up a free consultation. So, our website is uh, rethinkmoney.ie. We're on the whole usual uh, run of social media on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and we do you know quite a bit of daily videos. It's been a bit hectic recently with getting ready for the software launch, so it's been a bit sporadic. But again, we're trying to build that culture to teach people that. Listen, it's really simple, and hopefully we have developed the tools that will make it even simpler for you guys um, to go and determine and actually take control and educate yourselves on how simple it is to take control of your finances. Super. And to be fair, Sean, you have it clearly laid out in the title, Rethink Money. So thank you so much for joining us today. And best of luck with the software launch. We'll definitely be watching how that goes and encouraging uh, potential home buyers to, to go in and take a look. Um, thank you for joining us today. That was Sean McNulty of Rethink Money. And that's it from us this week. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com. My thanks to the Hear Me Roar production team and to Luke Delaney on sound for Dublin South FM. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>